Hello and welcome to episode 218 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Stupendous Multiverse Antimatter Raises the Superverse. Ooh. Or at least it did. Yeah, it did. It didn't this week. Yeah, that's right. I know. Anyway, um, oh, I am Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is the ever jolly, ever holly jolly, ever holly holly jolly, Ted O'Bear, <laughs> Trevor, aka Rudiger Q, Podcaster. Indeed. <laughs> Deep dark tones for this holiday week. Anyway, um, that's it. Intro is done. Your turn. News. News it is. Okay, so we only have uh, one little bit of news this week because we're in the doldrums of winter. Uh, But it was reported this week, although I don't think it's been officially confirmed by CBS or by anybody working on the show, but it was reported in, you know, all the trades Mm -hmm. that Star Trek Picard has been renewed for season two ahead of its premiere in a month. I laugh so hard. Well, I mean, this this is increasingly common depending on the vagaries of a specific show. Either they want to lock the cast down before their contracts come up or mm-hmm. they're really and, and or they're really happy with what they've seen so far the executives now when i say they right. um with what they've seen so far of season 1 and they know they're going to want a season 2 and because they're the idea is to have something new star trek related on cbs all access every week mm-hmm. they know that unless they want there want to be too long of a gap they've got to start production on season 2 now mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so it's probably hopefully some combination of you know their they're feeling good about what they've seen so far and, you know, the cast's willingness to continue and so on. They don't want to, you know, they also, like I was saying, I think they want to strike while the iron is hot, right? Like there's yep. only a certain amount of time that Patrick Stewart is going to have the willing, the willingness and the physical capability of doing like an hour-long action show mm-hmm. every week if, mm-hmm. it, if it, indeed it is as action-oriented as. Ironically, I think he probably would be better suited in his age now to do something more like Next Gen was, where it's mostly just like sitting at conference tables and uh-huh. you know standing still, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? This more action-oriented modern Star Trek is much more suited to a younger a younger actor than, you know what I mean? That's it's kind funny. of ironic. Um, that's, that's just the way the, the franchise has evolved, I guess. Um, but yeah, but that's certainly good news. I mean, we haven't seen any of season one yet, but mm-hmm. even if it's only good and not great, obviously Star Trek shows have a history of getting better with successive seasons so right. i would it, would it would have to be pretty bad for, for me to say nope no no hope for this pull the plug no more no more picard ever right mm-hmm. so i think it's it's only good news um but that's our only news this week mm. wow so what um, was your comic of the week so this week i picked pretty much the same thing as you did which was the final issues of i had tied so for me doomsday and batman tied because they were both equally amazing conclusions to their respective story arcs do you want to discuss further? Because I'm sure that you picked the same. <laughs> well, yeah. So Doomsday Clock number 12. I mean, I, this this one was important to me. I, I mean, we've we've picked Doomsday Clock as our comic of the week many times. Many times, over yeah. The, over the 12, over like the two plus years it's been coming out. <laughs> um, but I think this was a this was an excellent finale. I think thematically, a lot of really interesting ground was covered. Superman's importance, the way the way that he can influence others through his yeah. hope and positivity and optimism, the way that he, the, that he um, influenced... Um, the poster boy for the, I guess, uh, although I guess one could argue that perhaps the original Rorschach was like the the attitudinal poster boy of Watchmen. You know, Dr. Manhattan's mm-hmm. attitude wasn't really the overarching attitude of Watchmen in any way. No. That sort of clinical detachment was mm-hmm. sort of unique to his character. It wasn't necessarily Alan Moore's, you know, thesis or, or slant on the whole thing. But um, this character who had this cold clinical detachment from humanity that yep. was willing to 
destroy it all and restart it again and do all these other things and didn't see himself as human and just saw his own universe and this universe as sort of interchangeable mm-hmm. playthings that he could tinker with. For Superman to, through his example, influence Dr. Manhattan enough that he would go all the way from that to not just sacrificing himself to restore his own world, but mm-hmm. setting aright the DC universe and then then creating a successor for himself in the mold of Clark Kent mm-hmm. um, on his own world so that even if he fades away, having given his power to restore his own world, that they mm-hmm. would continue to have a champion and it's one that he believes could truly be you know, an, uh, um, in the vein of Superman and not mm-hmm. someone who would have his own failings right. and weaknesses, right? Um, so there's that, all that thematic stuff going on. And, you know, Rorschach, the new Rorschach, you know, taking through his interaction with Batman and Alfred there, like deciding to make the mask what he makes of it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to thank, you know, at the at Mothman's grave there, you know, thank him for the way that he tried to help him even if you know he told him a lie about you know his father and Rorschach and everything it was a lie that was intended to help him mm-hmm. you know and help him grow um to the to what ma- happens with marionette and mime and and then you know not even getting into the broader stuff which is you know the part that that made me get a little verklempt which is when dr manhattan sets things right and scooches the lantern mm-hmm. back into Alan Scott's reach in 1940. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a Green Lantern, which means there's a Justice Society, which mm-hmm. means there's a Superboy, which means there's a Legion. Mm-hmm. And you see the way in which the whole DC Universe history, all the way from 1940 to the 31st century, is intertwined. And Jeff Johns has this interesting thing. It's a very sort of Morrisonian way of looking at it, where Superman, of course, in the real world, was the first superhero. But in the DC Universe, the modern conception of the DC Universe you had the Justice Society, mm-hmm. and then the better part of 100 years later, you had Superman. But it positioned Superman as the as the center of everything, the inspiration for everything, and that ripples forward and backward, right? It's mm-hmm. Superman's inspiration that allows the Justice Society to exist, even though they existed mm-hmm. three quarters of a century before him. And it allows the Legion to exist a thousand years after him, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So it sort of positions in Jeff Johns's um, words, it, it's a metaverse, you know, not just a multiverse, but a metaverse. And what he he means by that in the context of Doomsday Clock is that um, a change to, to, you know, prime Earth or Earth Zero or New Earth or whatever you want to call it, more specifically a change to Superman, is a change to the whole, on on a metatextual level, becomes a change that ripples out throughout the entire multiverse. If you Mm -hmm. change Superman, you change, like Dr. Manhattan tinkered with Superman's origin and you got the New 52 and you got all these other things. Like a change to Superman affects the whole... On a, on a meta level affects the entire tone and an mm-hmm. outlook and positivity or lack of same of the entire DC universe. He is the, he is the center of that, mm-hmm. you know, and the, that ripples backwards and forwards through time and also affects everything from, you know, do we have high collars or not? Do we have too many lines on our costumes? Like a change to Superman affects the entire DC universe. Um, and I, and all that is really interesting. But but through that through that change through that correction, we get the Justice Society back, and we get the Legion back, and it explains why the Legion is now back in Bendis's current series. I mean, part, the nostalgic part of me wanted the classic Legion back, but of course, one of the great things that Jeff Johns does, did here, which he always does, is embrace and expand, as he says. Mm-hmm. You know, the old Legion is still out there anywhere, is still out there somewhere. The pre-crisis Earth is still out there somewhere in the newly named Earth 1985, right? The new 52 is still out there in Earth 52, right? Not all these, all these Earths, all these eras still exist, even if the current universe that we, the readers, are focusing on 
changes and evolves and is tinkered with by forces or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all those previous versions still exist there somewhere, and they can inf- you know, influence and be influenced by the other versions. So the the version of the Silver Age heroes that was seemingly wiped out when the Earth were amalgamated in Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's still out there. Superman with his space armor and high collar and and uh, and Harry Potter haircut and rougher attitude is still out there on Earth 52, mm-hmm. and all these still exist, but... But by making the change here, these, the, the Legion and the Justice Society are reintegrated back into the main continuity. Um, Clark Kent was Superboy again when he was young, which is, 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 you know, could be seen as a minor thing. But, uh, but that is such an important part to, of his history, Lex Luthor's history, the Legion's history. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's important. And that's back. And, and the, the capper that you get on this is that his parents are back, you know? Yeah. Like, through his example, even though he had so much taken from him by Dr. Manhattan. And Dr. Manhattan even says... I'm responsible for your parents' deaths. And then you see Superman come at him, and this is the moment that Dr. Manhattan saw in his visions. Like, either he dies now or I, or I do, or the whole universe does, I don't know, because he can't see anything past that. Mm-hmm. But Superman doesn't attack him. Instead, he defends him from mm-hmm. other characters that are attacking Dr. Manhattan from behind. And he's like, why did you do that? Didn't you hear what I said? It's like, I don't know you. I don't know what's, you know, I don't know who you are. I don't really understand what you're saying, but, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to help people, basically. I'm going to defend people, right? And so you're here, and so I'm going to help you, and we'll figure out all this other stuff later. Um, but the fact that all these, all this stuff is back is, is you know, Superboy's back, the Legion is back. We knew the Legion was back, because I feel like that's sort of a thing that maybe, because Doomsday Clock was so delayed, maybe they wanted this to come out and introduce the new Legion, and right. then Bendis yeah. had them in their own series. But the Justice Society is such a big thing. I mean, I've been talking about it for years on this show. But in this fact that not just... And again, I feel like maybe he was preempted a little bit here because we've gotten the Justice Society back in Scott Snyder's Justice League for the past six or seven months. Um, And so I feel like maybe this was the cart before the horse a little bit. But not only is the classic Justice Society back in continuity, not only does everybody remember them, but we see them again in the present. And this is the part that, that probably mattered the most to me, that we see them again in the present and the legacies are back. Like Alan's kids, Jade and Obsidian, are there. Yakeem Thunder is there. Courtney is there with Pat. And, and you know, Rick and Jesse, Liberty Bell and Jesse Quick, uh, Liberty Bell or Jesse Quick, depending on the costume, mm-hmm. and Our Man are there. And Johnny Thunder is the Thunderbolt again. And, and it's all these things that, of course, now he created or revamped many of those characters in his own JSA run. So obviously he's going to want to bring them back. It's mm-hmm. a little self-serving in that respect. But, but... It's not just that, oh, you know, the JSA existed 70 years ago and, and you know, they can maybe we'll tell stories with them later. It's that they're, they're here present now in the DC universe and all those legacies that became over the course of all the post-crisis history before the New 52 became intertwined with so many other characters' histories. Mm-hmm. You know, the, through Jesse Quick, the Flash, you know, lineage and Our Man, you know, they, they got married and they were going to have kids and then, you know... Alan's kids, Jade and Obsidian, and and they joined the JSA, and Jade and Kyle Rayner were together for a while, and that was a whole thing. Like it's it, all those connections and relationships were just gone, and characters seemed like they inter- they existed in a vacuum anymore. Like when Kyle Rayner was in the New Fifty Two, you're like, who is this guy? Because he never dated Donna. Mm-hmm. He never he never tried to console her when her wife and when jeez oh, when her husband and son died in a car crash. He never dated Jade. He never like. Without these other relationships, like who is who is Kyle Rayner? Like those were the relationships that defined him when I grew up reading about him. Mm-hmm. And they were gone, and so now bringing those back, 
the Legion is sort of its own thing, of course, because it's a thousand years in the future. doesn't really connect with the modern stuff very much. But having the JSA back and not just sequestered off 70 years ago, but still existing today and all of those lineages reintroduced and having Superman be Superboy again, all that carries with it and having him be, sorry, I'm sort of talking in circles here, but the idea that it started with, you know, Dr. Manhattan's sort of cardinal sin against Superman was, and the thing that caused him to become the new 52 Superman and his tinkering was engineering the deaths of his parents. Mm -hmm. And the fact that even though he, Superman, it's not like he was doing all this to get his parents back. He didn't know that they had been taken from him by Dr. Manhattan. He didn't know that he could in some way bring them back. He was just being himself. Right. So calling it a reward is maybe a little misleading, but as a reward, you know, Dr. Manhattan, you know, in, in fixing all the changes that he made, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure he set out to fix that particular their issue. car yeah. crash, but by bringing the Justice Society back, they affected Clark growing up, and and then the example, like Jonathan, was able to look to the Justice Society as an example and say to Clark, instead of saying, instead of being like nobody's Kevin, ready for instead this. of being Kevin Costner and saying the world's not ready for mm-hmm. you, you need to hide forever and never let them see who you are. He was the more traditional Jonathan Kent saying, you know what, when I was growing up, I would hear stories about the Justice Society and all the great things they did before they disappeared. Maybe you could be that again for people, you know? Mm-hmm. And that caused him to become Superboy. And in embracing his powers and becoming Superboy, he's able to save them from the car crash himself. Mm-hmm. And so they're still alive in the present. And so it's it's this sort of beautiful circuity too about it that I really that I really appreciate and it was obviously all planned by Jeff Johns from the start to be the conclusion to these 12 issues and it was just so intricately plotted and the art of course Gary Frank's art is is fantastic and just seeing those huge two two page spreads Superman in the center flanked by the Legion on one side mm-hmm. the, the 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 characters that he inspired and then the Justice Society and their children on the right the characters that 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 he inspired in a circuitous way but also inspired him mm-hmm. um sort of flanking him was made me tear up because these are characters that I've been reading about my whole life and they were just gone. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, and, and now mm-hmm. it's now it's all back in, the, in this beautifully integrated way. And then you, you continue reading and Jeff Johns is like, oh, you know, Dr. Manhattan is sort of talking on a metatextual level. Oh, you know, things were okay. Things were stable for a while. And then there's this other crisis in 2020 and then there's this other crisis in 2025 and you're like where is he going with this is he revealing mm-hmm. dc's editorial plans for the next 15 years or something mm-hmm. um, but then you see what he's doing he's saying like yeah there's always going to be another crisis there's always going to be another reboot there's mm-hmm. always going to be more continuity changes superman's always going to be reinvented and reintroduced he crashed in 1938 he crashed in 1986 he crashed in whatever man of steel was 1990 well that was 1986 he crashed in whatever birthright was 2001 he crashed in the new 52 and you know, whatever. His rocket lands in 2100. His rocket lands in 2535. His rocket lands. And then you get to the point where, you know, he's been rebooted so many times that his rocket actually lands in the 31st century in the Legion's time. Mm-hmm. And by that point, the world is sort of caught up and is ready for his example. And the so the loop is closed, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. he exists at the same time as the people he inspired. Mm-hmm. And he's able to inspire them now in the present with his example and sort of the world is is ready for his example by then, you know, a thousand mm-hmm. years, a thousand years removed. So it's this, you know, meta narrative thing that he's telling. Like it's yeah, this this is not the final. It's not like Jeff Johns is saying this is the final continuity change. There's never going to be any more. Mm-hmm. He knows that there's going to be, mm-hmm. but he's positioning it as sort of a natural thing that's going to happen to the DC universe, and it's a good thing because these characters should be reinvented. So long as you don't lose too much of what made them important to people mm-hmm. when they when they read about them growing up. But they're going to be reinvented, and eventually you'll reach a point where 
the world will be ready for what they're here to teach us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is a little highfalutin, but you know, when you care about the stuff as much as he does or I do, it, it really hits home. So I, I I really loved that. So to me, it was the perfect capper for the whole series. I really liked the ending part where he had, basically he saw that the mime and um, marionette, Marionette, their children were going to be important in the future. And um, I really love the capper on that, that uh, resolved itself, which is that he raised um, mime and Marionette's son to be a prototypical Clark Kent. Like he, he's the one that adopted the him and molded him and infused him with some of his power. He gave him some of his power and he gave him what he could give him. Mm -hmm. He took him as far as he could take him Mm -hmm. as a father, which was not as far as, as he needed to be taken. And Mm -hmm. so then when he went off to his sacrifice, he he handed him off to the doorstep Night, of, Night of Owl the... and Silk Spectre, his his two best friends, the two best people he knows, mm-hmm. to raise him as their adopted son in the same way that Jonathan and Martha did to Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. You know, he could be the Jor-El. He could give him something. He could give him a start. But right. Jor-El's great gift to Clark Kent was not his, you know, his genes or his genius or his mm-hmm. teachings through the crystals or whatever. Jor-El's gift to, Cla- to Kal-El was... was one of serendipity, basically, mm-hmm. was was giving him giving him to the universe, sending him out there, taking the risk of sending his child out there, so that he might possibly, in a one in a billionth chance, be found by people who would be, be able to kind be and kind and raise him. Good and to that him. worked yeah. out, and that that one that one connection yeah. became everything. And he's you know, Doctor Manhattan is giving his adopted son the same thing. Like he's saying, "Okay, I can give you my power, and I can sort of show you the way I look at the world, and I can get you started." But you need humans to raise you and temper your gifts and show you how best to use them in moderation and in humility, which is something that I, being a god, basically can't teach you. I can't teach you humility, you know, because I didn't even remember what it was like to have some. I've gamed a modicum of it back now Mm -hmm. through Superman's example, enough to know that I don't have any, Mm -hmm. you know, enough Mm -hmm. to know I know my limits now, which is something I didn't know before. I know what lessons I can't teach you, but I know who could, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it was really good. And then the last page where he turns the page and we see that he's named him Clark and he has a little Adam symbol mm-hmm. on his forehead. You know, that, that's just the perfect dovetailing of both universes, you know. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. great. I think that I think that when, when this started, people thought it was going to be like Superman versus Dr. Manhattan to, to restore the missing memories of the DC universe. I like, also like... And then like they're going to fight for 12 issues, but they didn't fight at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they literally didn't fight at all. It took us 12 issues to get to the point where we thought they might fight. Mm-hmm. And then it was a swerve. Mm-hmm. So it it was it was a sort of a meditation on the differences between the Watchmen the Watchmen characters and the DC characters the ways in which the they can make each other better and worse mm-hmm. you know they can reveal the flaws in each other but they can also lift each other up mm-hmm. which is the whole the whole thing of Superman of course mm-hmm. it's just like it's he he's an example you know like he's not he's not there to punch the threat mm-hmm. in the face like Batman is necessarily. Mm-hmm. He's there to, to show us that there's a better way. And so that's he was the fact that he was able to influence and save a whole universe without even realizing what he was doing. Like he didn't really understand what was going on mm-hmm. the whole time. Did he even understand that he was being manipulated and that the Russia thing was a setup? Like he kind of gets that later because Lex Luthor sort of figures it out and, and probably, you know, reveals it or you know, whatever Lois writes at the end. Mm-hmm. So the truth does come out and he's absolved of his, you know, crimes. Um He's kind of like a dupe the whole the whole way, right? Like none of these characters really understand what's happening to them because mm-hmm. what's happening on doc, from Doctor Manhattan is operating at a level so far above what they're capable of perceiving. Mm-hmm. You know, like changes to their entire history mm-hmm. that they're unaware of. So, you know, it's yeah. one it's it's one thing to to fight an enemy or to 
or to you know reach out your hand to an enemy when you know that that's what you're doing like when you know that there's a choice to be made and this is an important important choice it might be hard to reach out your hand to your enemy but at least you understand that maybe it's the it's the right thing to do in this moment you know that this is a moment where a choice needs to be made but superman throughout this whole thing and even in this last issue doesn't really understand that this is like a crucial moment or anything it's just like he's being dogpiled by a bunch of heroes and villains alike and there's this weird naked blue guy there, mm-hmm. and he just does what he always does. He mm-hmm. just tries to help as many people as possible and, and save as many lives as he can. And that's, you know, ultimately what, what matters. Like, mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not given – it's not like a, an RPG where you get to the end of, an M- of, a, of a Mass Effect game, and you've got the little dialogue tree, and you're like, do I blow up the universe or do I save the universe? Right, and you have right. to decide whether you're going to go light side or dark side, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's, not, he's never given a binary choice. He's just mm-hmm. – he just put into a situation and see what he does yeah. the way he always does he was there's never one inflection point where we see like oh this is where he had to like th- really think about it like he doesn't have a chance to think about anything right? right he's not he's never given that that moment he's just being who he is you know right. so i don't know i thought that was i thought it was all great i agree yep and then as far and then as far as batman number 85 so this is not the wait fine. hold on because i you didn't mention the sister he gets his adopted sister, who happens to be his real sister again. The who are we talking about? The girl, about now? Sally, but she was actually born to Marianne. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah but he because gets to in be with some his, way he sees exactly. But I think it's important to note that he being young Clark, Doctor. He being Manhattan's young Clark and Doctor Manhattan's ward. ward. <laughs> um, but I think it's important also to note that he saw something in them, uh, in them right, being both together. Times. <laughs> He's like, well, it worked the first time. But what? When he gave Sally to da- oh, Dan yes, and Oh, yes, he arranged <laughs> that. But no, 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 no. But this is the weird thing. It's like he could have annihilated Mime and... Um, Marionette. Marionette, thank you. Um, you know, and, and never even given them the chance to have a second baby. You know, there were so many chances that right. he had that, to, that to was the setup. That said, was the setup to show that he could be redeemable. Like, that, yeah. was, that, was, that was putting it out there that he could have killed... Um, which one is the woman, Mime, right? No, she's Marionette. She's Marionette. Mime, Mime he, can't talk. He could so. have killed her during the bank heist and not yeah. cared that he was that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. He's, if she he's, was at he's the let, time, to be honest. Like, like, like the comedian said to Dr. Manhattan, in back in the original Watchmen, he let the comedian murder that Vietnamese woman yeah. who was pregnant with his daughter, yeah. with comedian's daughter, and didn't lift a finger. And comedian's like, don't get all high and mighty on me because you could have stopped it and mm-hmm. you didn't, right? Yeah. But in this, but in the moment in the in the bank there, he saw that this child would grow up to be someone who would be important to his best friends, and there was still enough of his humanity there to want to preserve that. So right. that was putting it out there that he's maybe not totally far gone. Right. And exactly. And it's the extra step later that he takes where he actually, you know. But yeah, that's yeah. really nice. And so, as far as Batman number eighty five is concerned, you said it's like the final issues. Of course, this this isn't oh, the final issue of Batman, but it's Tom King's final issue of Batman, and then his of ba- the one hundred issues that he wrote for. This. Well, it's not quite a hundred issues yet. When you add up his the twelve issues he's doing of Batman Catwoman, and oh. you add on the annuals and the specials and everything else, it'll be a hundred issues. But this is okay. this is the the finale to his main Batman run, and apparently, Batman Catwoman will be, um, like a um. It'll be its own thing. It'll be like a coda to this, but it'll also be its own thing, like its own self-contained thing. I don't. It's not going to continue. It'll be focused on the two of them, obviously, but it's not going to continue any of the storylines from this. It won't involve Bane or Flashpoint Batman. All mm-hmm. that stuff is done. You know, mm-hmm. yep. like, Kite Man probably will show up. I think that probably goes without saying. <laughs> Although Chuck maybe Brown. not if he really wants to chart uncharted waters. Um, but it's going to be its own thing that just happened. It's going to be like a different story he wants to tell with those characters instead of the one he's been telling for the past 85 issues. Um, but as a capper, I think that this was this was sort of lower stakes, um, certainly than Doomsday Clock 12 was, sort of the denouement, you know, like 
everything that happens here is sort of like, oh, plans unfolding in the way that they would. You know, we're seeing the the fallout of things. We're seeing what happens to Bane afterwards and Thomas. And but I think I think that it's it's a really it's been a really fantastic arc for Batman over the course of this whole story in terms of his growth as a character, his growth as like a potential husband, his growth as a son to both Thomas and to Alfred. You know, to two versions of Thomas and to Alfred, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to see see him arrive at where he is at the end of this, um, where it's someone who is who is who is he can have his his father figure taken from him brutally, but he's he's still okay, mm-hmm. and he can still be he can still make himself emotionally available to basically his wife now, you know, and still want to be with her, and he's not all hung up about. Oh man, if I'm happy, can I still be Batman? Or I lost another father figure. I must never care about anyone ever again. You know, like he's, and then the next writer. Well, I know the next writer is excellent because it's James Tynion. But you know, five years from now, I'm sure some new writer will come in and say Batman's got to be a loner again. He, you know, he doesn't need connections. You know, as we just talked about with Doomsday Clock, all these things are cyclical, and you know, change is change is the only constant. But all the writer can do, as Grant Morrison said, and as Scott Snyder has repeated, and I feel like Tom King sort of takes it to heart too. All the, all the bat, all the, all you can do. When you're the steward of one of these characters, if you want, unless you're just cashing the paychecks, if you want to actually invest something of of yourself into the characters and tell a personal story using these corporate characters, all you can do is imagine that they are like a creator-owned character. Like I created this version of Batman, and I and I know what his his origin was and what his death will be. And even if it's not, even if Scott Snyder's version of his death, right, mm-hmm. Batman Last Night on Earth isn't the same as Frank Miller's in Dark Knight Returns or isn't the same as Grant Morrison's with with Batman R.I.P. and then the Batman 666 feature and all that stuff. Like every Batman writer has to imagine that this is a character that they created and they're going to they're going to have the characterization that is important to me and they're going to symbolize like what what we've talked about it before what Batman symbolizes to Scott, Scott Snyder is the resiliency of the human spirit and the inspiration of someone who says you can fight back, you know, you can make yourself into a symbol of hope and strength and so on, right? That, which is not what he meant to Frank Miller, mm-hmm. very different than what Frank Miller was trying to say in Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns, where he was like this messed up guy who had this sort of fixation. It was almost like a, mm-hmm. a problem with him mm-hmm. that he would go out there. Um, but that's what every writer has to do. And, and Tom King, you know, he took him on this arc. You know, and he has his own version of the future. We we saw it in some of the annuals. We saw it again here. It's the old Bruce and old Selina who maybe never actually got legally married, mm-hmm. but are just kicking around Wayne Manor. You know, Still ver- very much verbally together. sparring with each other, and they've got their daughter Helena out there as mm-hmm. like the new Batwoman or whatever, and she's doing her thing. And you remember we saw that once or twice. Yep, we saw it here I in remember. the two-page spread where we see all their first meeting, and then them on the beach, and then them yep. taking, taking, you know, embracing in their wedding attire, and then we saw the old future with them yep. with their gray hair, and that's that's Tom King's version of where they're going, you know. Yep. And so he's he's wrapped up that arc, and it's his conception of from the beginning, middle, and end of his Batman story, and. You know, we get the two or three pages at the end from James Tiny and Tony Daniel, where it looks like it's going to reintroduce Joker and be of a very different style and tone, which it which it should be. Um, but it's going to pay off some of the things that King set up, as far as Alfred being gone and Commissioner Gordon now, as we know with the whole infected thing. Yep, he's he's off Out of the board, so there's going to be a very different thing. Apparently, Lucius. Did you hear my joke? I did. Apparently, <laughs> Lucius Lucius Fox is uh-huh. going to work more closely with Batman as and try to like. Do oh, for him what Alfred used yeah. to do, and and like Harvey Bullock is going to be commissioner now, which is going to raise like a whole raft of yeah. issues. And so it, you know, it's taking what he did and moving it forward. But but I don't know. It, it's it was really you know we've how many issues out of the eighty five issues plus the various other you know annuals and and 
one shots or whatever else. How many of those were our comic of the week? Half? Yeah. Maybe maybe even more, yeah, right? Between yeah, the two of us. Probably more, yeah. So yeah, I would say that I would say that this was certainly a I I think it's one of the best Batman runs I've ever like Wow, I, that's I, saying a lot from you. But like really You long, put an asterisk on it, I know. Really but. long Batman runs are rare though, because like the runs used to be longer, but these days they're never really very long. I mean, Grant Morrison worked on the character. I mean, Grant Morrison's run is probably my favorite, and he was on the character for probably like seven or eight years. It's not that not that far off, but in terms of the number of issues he wrote, yeah, it's not that different because Tom King was writing every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison maybe wrote about a hundred issues, so it'll be about the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, just in terms of the volume of it and you know the amount of different stories that he got to tell. I mean, Tom King was sort of telling one long story, whereas Grant Morrison was sort of telling three or four smaller stories, like the Dick and Damien Batman run and then the Batman Incorporated run after that. So it's it's not it's not a perfect analogy, but yeah, I mean, just long sustained Batman runs. Um, I I really enjoyed Snyder's run, um, but not as not as much as some other people did. And then, you know, Paul Dini had a great run in the comics and, but he was, his, his animated stuff was probably better than his comic stuff. And, you know, there's been some other ones obviously that I've really liked, but his, his t- in terms of sustained quality and then we're not even getting into the fantastic artists that he worked with, Lee, Lee Weeks and Mikel Janin and, and Tony Daniel and all the others. But I mean, you know, just sustained quality for 85 issues, definitely more decompressed mm-hmm. than Grant Morrison's run. Like you would have, like the, the nightmares arc really have to be nine issues or whatever, where he was just seeing different visions in his head. Yeah. Did did certain other did you know I love the the Mister Freeze on trial thing, but did that need to be two or three issues instead of just like a short story or something? One could quibble about that, but it's just the pace at which he writes, and you know it definitely more decompressed. Did Heroes in Crisis need to be nine issues? We talked about that at the time, right? It's just his. Did Mister Miracle need to be twelve issues for the amount of story content? Maybe, maybe not, but that's the pace that those stories were sort of designed to unfold at, and that's the pace of his dialogue. His dialogue very much drives a lot of the scenes, and it can take longer. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. It's it's definitely really far up there. We'll see. So we'll see. I mean, if Batman Catwoman is, is just as good or better, that'd be great. But it can sort of stand on its own, I feel like. And whether it's, you know, it's its own thing. Like Frank Miller wrote Batman Year One and Dark Knight Returns, two of the best Batman stories of all time. He also wrote Dark Knight 2 and Dark Knight 3, which were not as good. But it doesn't really taint the others. You know, Dark Knight Returns is still a classic. So even if Batman Catwoman is a bit of a drop-off from this, I feel like this run, now that it's been completed, is, will sort of stand as a seminal Batman run. So... Yep. That's awesome. Definitely really good. All right. So for our, our, our quiz slash activity this week, why mm-hmm. don't we... Um, Quack activity. Why don't we finish up what we were going to do last week and what we started a couple of weeks ago, which is ranking the Titans okay. adaptations. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So you recall the idea here was to rank the characters in terms of their fidelity, like in terms of their, mm-hmm. their successful adaptation from the comics, whether or not they worked as characters on the show in and of themselves is not really the question. It's how successfully were they adapted from the comics. All right. So we did the... The main characters last time. Yeah. Well, that was the conceit, wasn't it? It was the conceit, but it was also, you know, I tainted my ranking also by, you know, I, I also added the subjective nature of whether or not I liked well, it. Well, it's all subjective. The changes like, whether something is a subjective, something. whether something ahead. is a successful adaptation is, is largely right. subjective. Yeah, I had anyway. a broad definition for successful right. because obviously I can see the linear um, transferal from page to screen and, and then assess on that, but I also wanted to toss in my take on how I liked the adaptation, whether or not it was faithful. Right. So so we talked about the main characters last time. So yep. this time we'll talk about Jason Todd, mm-hmm. Donna Troy, Aqualad, Superboy, and Ravager. So mm-hmm. do you want to go first? 
Well, you went um, first last time. I did, did I go I first did go time? first last time. Or do you um, want to go first again? I want to go first again All because right. that way, no, because I don't fair. want my, <laughs> I don't want my um my opinions being tainted by being your a, incisive right. takes. I am very. I'd rather be wrong and then <laughs> yeah, I'm an influencer. You are. You're an influencer. Um, let's see. Um, I actually didn't really like Aqualad. I'll start there. Um, well, we got the least of him that we did out of any of the others. That's true. Anyway, um, I'll start. I thought, I think my favorite of who you listed, wait, who is the fifth one? Sorry. Ravager? No, sorry. Right, right, right. I remember Ravager. Okay. Jason, Donna, Aqualad, Superboy, and Ravager. Donna, Aqualad, Superboy. Okay. Um, I think I have to like Jason the best. I agree. Yeah, because. He stepped right out of the comics. Yes, his story. He was a twerp and like he had. He was a twerp. Yeah, just in the comics was yeah he was a twerp. I mean yeah, it's pretty much the same. He has a different sort of like way about him, like a slightly different attitude than he did in the original comics, which which you haven't read, right? And definitely a a different attitude than like modern Red Hood Jason does. But he's an older, more mature, more self-possessed, more self-actualized character, even if he's still really screwed up. Yep. But yeah, this this version of Jason, if they could have done like a mature reader's version, back in the like late eighties and early nineties when he was really at his peak torpishness it would have looked like this do you know why though for me what capped it what sealed it was the vulnerability in the last few issues yeah you got to see beneath the mask just how deeply scarred yeah and that's something that the modern the modern version of the comics is sort of added in there because originally he was it's sort of a, it's just sort of yeah. a twerp for twerp's sake. Yeah, yeah. He was written as a tw- two-dimensional. Now you get the more he's, sense a, he's right. overcompensating. He's he insecure. He was a two-dimensional kind of teenage, in-your-face, you know, bandit or whatever he's you want to call out, it. Like, so yeah. to get attention, kind of. Exactly. Just yeah. a spoiled, kind of a, kind of a rough not around spoiled, the edge. No, I not mean, spoiled, but just mm, a chip on his shoulder yeah. and an attitude problem, um, as they would be labeled. But it's not. It's not a sense of see, entitledness. It's more no, like it's, exactly. it's arrogance of a different sort. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see where that's coming from here, and you can take a peek into what really, really makes him tick, and how well it was acted on screen, and how well it was written on screen between the scenes where he was his most vulnerable, and when he was his most hopeful. Um, those were. Those were great. Those were really great. I think it was... That's why he's my it's favorite. A really, it's, a, it's a cool way to do the character because in the comics at the time, Jason, like we've talked about before, was never really a titan. And he never really interacted with Nightwing very much. So you just see him basically interact with Batman. And so it was yep. that one relationship and that was your only... Window. There was your only window into the character. Was yeah. sort of, and, and as despite, ironically, despite the fact the original Robin was introduced so that kid readers would have a character they felt like they could identify with. I feel like as a reader, when you're reading Batman and Robin, especially when Robin's a jerk, mm-hmm. you kind of identify more with Batman because you kids want to be Batman. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to be the sidekick. They want to be the big hero, right? Yep. And so when you are when you see yourself as Batman and there's this little twerp screwing everything up and killing your <laughs> the guy yeah. that you want to snitch or whatever, you, you're going to dislike that character. And that was your only prism into him was yep. viewing him through Batman because those in the comics at the time that was all you got. Mm-hmm. Here we see him interact with Dick a lot and we see him interact with his peers a lot, which we never really got with him in the comics until much more recently. Right. With the outlaws and all that other stuff. Right. Um and it's great because like how would he how would he deal with someone like Gar, who's like his complete opposite? How would what would it be like for him to be around Dick Grayson all the time? Like the golden boy, the chosen one, right? The original Robin, the one that he's always being compared to and coming up short, even if it's only in his own head, right? Mm-hmm. And that those that's all great stuff that we never got in the if we'd gotten more stuff like that 
when he was originally in the comics, then the readers wouldn't have voted to kill him, I feel like, because it's interesting stuff. But all that had to come later when, right. when after they brought him back and like, oh, you know what? There are interesting stories to tell with this guy. Maybe we shouldn't have killed him off 15 years ago. Right. right? So, yeah, I feel like that's I, I agree with you. I feel like that was the best adaptation because, again, like with Hawk and Dove, it took everything that makes them interesting in the comics and added more layers without taking away any of the things that made him interesting in the comics. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what's your, what's your number two? Ravager. Really? I really like her. Because you, know, you never really warmed up to her in the comics, I feel like. You want to know what the last few... Oh, yeah, that's true. But um, in terms of faithful adaptation, I really... I liked her story and I liked her well enough as a character. But the question that you posed was how long... How faithful... Faithful adaptation. Faithful adaptation and also best preference on... You know, I'm adding that yeah. that element to it. And so uh, for, for me, for her, for how she was portrayed on screen, I liked the backstory that they gave her here. It was even more fleshed out, no pun intended, given that she lost an eye. Anyway, um, uh, than it was in the comics... Um, and it, it was it was something new, but it was also incredibly related to what the comics were already doing with her character. And it gave her some depth. They gave her some really good scenes to play. The actress did a phenomenal job. She was great at being aloof. She was great at having her own chip on her shoulder. She was great at being um, a, a really competent fighter. They really treated the character very well and I really that's why I picked it especially in the last few episodes where you saw her interactions with Jason same thing and also when she faced off against her father Mm -hmm. and chose the better side you know chose her better (laughs) angel the side she could see out of ha 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 can't believe I walked into that one anyway so yeah that's why she's my number two and number three hmm Donna Um, really mm -hmm. I like how she has a bit more edge She's more optimistic in the comics. She's had an edge. You're, you're, not, you're not wrong I'm not over wrong, the but broad arc of the had, characters. Exactly. More recently, they've played her up more as like a, a, an angry young warrior mm-hmm. in ways. Yeah. You know? I, I've seen the teenage... I, I mean, I, I haven't I was lied really... to about where I really come exactly, from. And I don't know who exactly. I really am. Maybe I'm going to be this evil character right. in the future. Right. Troya and all That's this stuff. That's always felt yeah. a little simplistic. I always like the, 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 the cuddly big sister... Yeah. You know, photographer. And I've seen that before. Wife, I've never seen the I've never seen the photographer. Never really I've gotten. never seen the wife in yeah. the comics anyway. But I have seen the mentor. I have seen the big sister. And I've I've seen the girly girl as well who can really, really kick butt. And it took me um a few readings of different things and, and talking to you about her how she was in the comics to kind of get a bead on the character and how she had different faces in the in the DCU. But in terms of who she is on... Same face, many different origins. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, in terms of who, how she's portrayed in this, I think it's great. They picked a really nice, interesting snapshot in her life. She's further on in her superheroing career, you know, so she's got the big sister, mentor, experienced person thing going. Um, and she's competent, caring, powerful, gorgeous, like all of those she's, tropes that are in the she's like, comics. Yeah. That's true, but she's also got this depth to her, which I really like, she's like and a she's little like, bit of an edge she's as like well. Dick, she's at the same, a similar stage of her life as Dick is in this, where she's not a kid anymore, yeah. and you see the makings of the fully rounded, mature person she's going to be, but she's still got some of the anger yeah. and some of the, some of the rough edges because of things that happened to them in Dick's case, you know, the bat, whole being raised by Batman, in her case, some of the Amazon teachings and also the whole Aqualad being killed in front yeah, of her yeah. thing. Um, 
but you could see much like you could see with Dick how he, how he would eventually become the version we read about in the comics. Mm-hmm. You can see that Donna is on the same path and she's probably further along. Certainly in season one, she was way further along. If anything, she kind of like regressed a little bit here as all the Aqualad and Deathstroke stuff came up again. She got angrier and she walked out in the team just like everybody else right. did. In the comics, I, I would I would think that Donna Donna would be the last one to leave, even after Dick, like because she is the she's the, the heart of the team. Right. Um, but here, Dick sort of matured over the course of the two seasons, and she did too to a certain extent. But because the memories that were being dredged up were acutely painful to her, right? Right. Um, I feel like she kind of got pulled down a little bit, and then you know she rose up at the end to <laughs> catch the electrical tower and exactly. get electrocuted. Yeah, I know. Uh, but she was still able to sort of move past it to a certain extent by the end. It's, I, I imagine we'll see her again in season three, and hopefully she be, she'll be the more fully rounded, right. mature character. Exactly. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then from Superboy, the next one four, is Superboy is number four. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the portrayal of this character in <laughs> his innocence. I think it's a slightly different than they did in the comics because in the comics he had more of a mature awareness, even though he knew that he was different. Well, you haven't clone. read the original comics where the Maybe. the clone Superman yeah. character was very was, infantile was when he was there. He was very. Well, was he not infantile? He was that? immature, but he was immature in a punk teenager kind of way. Yeah, that's he what I'm saying. He wasn't immature in like a Frankenstein's monster blank slate, right? Like a uh, like a baby in a in a man like a man child kind mm-hmm. of way, you know? Yeah, and they portrayed um, him that way here. It's interesting. I, you could do it a few different ways, right? Like in, in the comics, they wrote him as like a, a jerk teenager. Mm-hmm. In Young Justice, he was like almost like a, a caged animal at first who discovered his own humanity over the course of the first season right right he was just like rah you remember superboy season yeah, one was like you know just blowing things <laughs> up right and here he's like this sort of almost like this this child yeah in, in like a 16 year old body or whatever with all this power and they mm-hmm. all they all kind of i feel like the punk teenager thing was super 90s yeah it but, was and, and, you know so maybe you couldn't get away with that but the, there's enough of the there's enough of the um the young justice like he's a he's a, a dangerous weapon when he's yeah. unleashed thing here which right. the comics never really had while adding in this sort of like yeah the sort of frankenstein's monster like but frankenstein's monster with the little girl by the by the river or whatever right oh that's so um, the lake but anyway <laughs> yeah and again like Gave they, they so took what nightmares. made him interesting in the comics but they added this darker layer where he you know he can actually really hurt people and get people killed sometimes if he doesn't control himself or his darker impulses which right. the comics and young justice being you know, all ages comics and an all ages cartoon didn't really go that far, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. And then Aqualad, just because you felt like he was the least developed. I feel like he was... I think the actor did a really good job with He did a great job episode, with the material that he did. Yeah. It, was, it was really well acted. I thought it was an interesting thing that they were trying to sort of align his attitude and bearance with what was going on in the films meaning that we yeah. uh, get the Jason Momoa, Jason Momoa right yeah. you get the Jason Momoa Aquaman who's who's edgier and funnier and wittier and everything else and no he was ne- never that but yeah. I honestly I really love the Young Justice portrayal of Aqualad and the Calderon version now, the Calderon. not the Garth version yeah. I understand two I didn't see I know but same. I saw Ga- but I saw a little bit of Garth too and he was still but sort Garth of and Young Justice was a sweet I know like the sweet he was a sweet kind of like and runner, even that, up. I understand <laughs> he was a was. sweet runner-up, but he was also a very competent hero. Yeah. He was giving, he was kind, he was brave, and all of those um, traits were there within this Aqualad, but it just didn't feel like a good adaptation here as well. And um, yeah, I really like his costume, as but besides that, as an yeah, adaptation, I, I it didn't work it. for it's, me. It's not, it's unlike any other, I like this version yeah. of Aqualad. I wouldn't mind if maybe this version influenced 
the comics a little bit, but as an adaptation, I agree right. with you, it's probably the least least faithful. I don't want to say necessarily it least was, successful, but mm, least faithful. For me, I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't see enough of the character. Maybe it's because I thought that it was a little bit one-dimensional in terms of it was his a little motives. One-dimensional. You know what I mean? He was, he, you know, he he didn't really have a lot the, going he on. The he didn't have a lot of depth. He was the hunky surfer right. guy. Was yeah, his, who was who had a crush on Donna? And yeah, that was like that was every that was scene. But but the actor took that and gave him a lot of heart. And it, you you care when he died. Yeah. You don't want him to die. At the no. End. Yeah, I agree. I think my ranking would be nearly identical. I think Jason has to be number one. I think because Donna sort of lacked some of the more um, like motherly, for lack of a better term, like big sister, den mother qualities that I that you I always like. See a couple. I know, but 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 that. it was it, to me, especially in season two, it was you, kind it was of weighed that, down yeah. by the more angry, yeah, um, version mm-hmm. of her. Yeah, she was definitely um, more angry here. I feel like that that takes it down a notch for me. So I'd have to say Jason, then probably Superboy, because I think oh, okay. I think that they I that think that they they did Superboy pretty much as good as you can do in live action. And That's then, true. Then I have to put Donna for three. Mm. I think I put Aqualad four just because I feel like you could see the heart of the character in the com- um, the comics character in there. He just had a bit of a different attitude, which is fine because you want to make him stand out. If he was just like a nice, just like a, a nice guy, mm-hmm. just a generic nice guy, mm-hmm. he wouldn't make much of an impression. And he ha- he's only going to be in the one episode, and he influences everything that happens mm-hmm. because of what happens to him. He has to be a memorable guy, and so giving him a bit of a different attitude more mm-hmm. of an attitude, helps him sort of stand out and differentiates him from the other characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've already got the ang- the angry tough guy in Hawk and you've got like the sweet brotherly guy in Dick, mm-hmm. right? You, you, he needs to be like sort of somewhere in the middle so he's got like a little bit of a bad boy attitude to him but he's all heart, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was part of a smart way to, to position him because you have to make him stand out from the other male characters in his one appearance. He can't just be another nice guy or else he would have been indistinguishable from Dick or Jericho in those episodes. So yeah, so I think that was probably smart. And then Ravager, um, I like I like her on the show. Um, I feel like they kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say they they neutered her because she definitely was a kick butt you know character in the show, but she lacks a lot of the. She doesn't come across you know, even though she lost an eye and everything. She doesn't come across as nearly like as damaged mm. because she had sort of kind of a normal childhood in the show, right? She was raised by the by uh, by a loving family mm. up until like only a few months or a year ago. When she suddenly decided like it would be cool to go off with her biological father and become an assassin, right? Which oh, seemed a little yeah. un, un, out of nowhere. Um, whereas in the comics, she had like this, she was like Messed this up. illegitimate child, and then she was raised in this complete other part of the world, and she she had this interesting upbringing backstory. and ba- backstory that that influenced influenced who she was. She wasn't raised as this nice girl in the suburbs who suddenly decided to be an assassin. Yeah, you know what I mean. Okay, and she always seemed like a little too like. When she was trying to be aloof and 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 badass here, I bought it, but it almost felt like a put on from someone who was like fundamentally sweet and good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she just like forgot that for a while. Whereas in the comics, she's like deeply damaged, and there might might be no fixing her, but she's still usually able to be kind of a hero. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I find that m- more interesting. Mm. So to me, it was not as successful as the others. Mm-hmm. I still like the version on the on the show, but it does seem like a kind of a dumbed down. And this is where we see comics. like uh, where we see how our rankings are more about uh, a little bit about preference as well as about the adaptation. Because for me, like all of these rankings, including Aqualad, who I've sort of lambasted a little bit here, but even him, I really, really liked. Like the way these characters were portrayed, written, executed. Um, it was just. It really, really was tough to 
say, oh, I like this guy way better than that guy. No, 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 it's not like that. It's, it's, I like all of these characters really, really, really a lot. Um, it's just, for me, those tiny infinitesimal differences are what make me rank them, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy the show very so, much. So should we talk about our shows? So we only have a couple. Mm-hmm. We've got Star Wars Resistance, Harley Quinn, and The Mandalorian, since mm-hmm. all the DC shows are on hiatus over mm-hmm. the winter. So Star Wars Resistance, uh, this one's called Station to Station. So mm-hmm. this sort of features Kaz and Niku sneaking aboard a First Order ship, and Tam happens to be there with Elijah Wood. Yeah, and uh, she ends up helping them. Even they don't really, re- they don't never. They really don't interact. They don't interact have any with her. Together, they don't really yeah. understand how lucky they were. Yeah. Um, and by the end, it really seems like the First Order has got Tam's number. That they sort of realize that right. she's right. And also, ha- the, we have uh, what's his name? Number Elijah Wood character. We should call Ruckland, him by his right? Ruckland? Ruckland, yeah, um, because he was had no trouble selling out his former friends or at well least... sure but i mean that's the most two-dimensional character in the entire yeah, show he's just yeah. a jerk right. traitor True. guy True. he's True. just an entitled jerk traitor yeah um yeah i thought it was a good episode it, you know as everybody says i feel like the show is at its best when it's dealing even, even though the tam character can be frustrating it does generate drama and when you've got the first order there it, it raises the stakes beyond having some space rally race or there's like an archaeology thing that has to happen like no this is this is war you know this is like a mm-hmm. genocidal fascistic organization so yeah it does tend to raise the stakes so yeah no i think it was a good episode um harley quinn so we've watched two since the last time we talked so um so you need a crew and finding mr right so the one where she assembles her crew with clayface dr psycho mm-hmm. um uh, kite man attempts to get in there right yeah um and then the most recent episode, she's trying to find a, a nemesis for herself and we get introduced to the show's version of king shark we get a lot more Batman. We see the show's version of Damien. Mm-hmm. Um, these these are a lot of fun. There's definitely and and Superman, right? Superman and Lois. The show definitely nothing is nothing is sacred on the show. Definitely, right? Yeah. Like even Superman is sort of is not really treated with a, a lot of dignity, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine if you know going in that's what the show is going to be, right? Like if you know it's not it's like nothing is sacred. That's fine. Like mm-hmm. this version of Batman, I feel like Batman is kind of the most like himself yeah but but he's as he was in batman the brave and the bold where he was also played by diedrich bader he is the straight man right yes. all the crazy stuff happens that he's not a goof no. everybody else is and mm-hmm. he's he's the one who rolls his eyes at it right mm-hmm. so he's kind of the most like himself damien is has still got a lot of the attitude he just seems like he's lost all of his competence yeah <laughs> It's um, so funny. But he's like, I was raised as a master assassin. Like, yeah, you were. Then and why can't has, you fight Harley Quinn? Yeah, exactly. Nosebleeds. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's King cute. It's cute. So I'm, I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a problem. I mean, the Commissioner <laughs> no. Gordon thing is funny. The, wa- the King Shark the thing is funny. Is the Damien so thing is funny. funny. Yeah. The writing is just so clever. I mean, they take all of these tropes, these 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 funny moments. They find jokes where you wouldn't think there was a joke and also they twist the characters sure they change a few things here and there but you don't mind because it's so well done that you really i'm just i'm really enjoying this show it's it's really perfectly done and then the mandalorian (laughs) so we had two episodes the prisoner and the reckoning Mm -hmm. so the prisoner is the one where he uh it's like a space heist right where he he's got this crew of uh, of people that mostly that he's worked with in the past, yeah. right? So you got Clancy Brown, um, you've got um, the ball guy with the extra guns, you've yeah. got the the Twi'lek girl with the blades and the hissing. Mm-hmm. A lot, of, mm-hmm. always, always so with much the hissing. hissing. With why, um, why? And they've got to they've got to um, raid this New Republic space jail ship, basically. Right. 
uh, and, to liberate. Uh, and murder and uh, murder Matt Lanter and uh, rescue right. <laughs> rescue the the, the Twi'lek woman's uh, brother. Yep. And you know everything goes wrong, and he's got to face off against them. And then there's a clever twist at the end where he kind of like he, he betrays the betrayers, and mm-hmm. they get theirs. And yeah, it was it was good. But like the one with Ming Na, I felt like it was like the one with Ming Na, and unlike the first few episodes, I felt like. While it was playing into the tropes and stereotypes of the genre, it wasn't really doing enough to set itself apart or subvert those tropes or do unexpected things. Oh, I see. It's the same thing we talked about with the Gunslinger episode last week with Ming-Na, where I felt like if you said, oh, he's going to he's gonna take under his wing a young bounty hunter. It's like, oh, well, the bounty hunter is going to like turn out he's to be not quite so right. naive and he's going to betray him. And then they'll probably like – and then the – the, the one they're after will probably try to manipulate them against each other yeah. and then they'll end up fighting at the end. Like all that happened. And here I, I would say like, yeah, his crew is probably going to betray him yeah. and he'll have to fight them and they'll have to make his way off on his own. And then he'll get revenge on the guy that set him up and sent them all there together, which is basically what happened. Right. So while it was enjoyable to watch um, and, you know, it looked great and everything else, I, yeah. I think that it was... And it was fun. It was a little too. It was a little too predictable for me. But the most recent one, the reckoning, oh my was. God. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the show has sort of like this saggy middle, you know, because the first three episodes were kind of a trilogy, right? That, yeah. And that was great. And then you had the one, the Seven Samurai episode, which was great. Yep. But not didn't really move the story forward a lot. And then you had the last couple of episodes, the Ming Na episode, and then the the Space Jail episode, which kind of felt like um one like one shots, you know, mm-hmm. like standalone episodes that could kind of that didn't really need to be there. And there were interesting stories, and I understand that they're trying to balance the serial storytelling with, like, episodic storytelling. That's all well and good. But this most recent one was a return to not just the main plot, but also many of the characters in the first few episodes. Um, And I feel like the quality of the first few episodes, too. So to me, the last couple of standalone ones didn't work as well. But once we circle back to the whole, you know, Bounty Hunter Guild, Imperial Remnant, Grief Karga... Cara mm-hmm. Dune, mm-hmm. Nick Nolte, right? IG-11, mm-hmm. uh, Werner Herzog, all that stuff. You know, um, I thought all, I thought it was great. This is my favorite one since the first three, since he left <laughs> since he left this planet. Right. Um, expertly, I think that the, the directing and the editing were fantastic. You know, again, Deborah Chow, right, who's going to yes. be doing the Obi-Wan show. So I feel like that's really in safe hands. The whole sequence at the end where the scout troopers are after uh, Nick Nolte oh my God. on his animal there. Um, oh, you know the, what killed the way we me don't is that they probably wouldn't have been able but... to track him if if uh, if uh, Mando hadn't set out a signal to check in with him. You remember how maybe, he, they over? But they've always been able to track the child, though, right? So maybe they were just tracking. the Maybe child. they were tracking the child, but they they weren't able to hone in on a location as quickly until I those two guys listened maybe. in on the communication, maybe. sat on their speeders, and were like, "Okay, we can." But we I know feel where like the Mandalorian's are. smarter than that. I don't know. Well, I, it, no, it's no, not really it was very clearly. It was very clearly laid out in that sequence, and I, I just it cut my heart a little bit because I was like, "Oh my god!" If he hadn't said anything, if he had just um, not checked in in that yeah, maybe. moment, I didn't read it that way, but maybe. Oh, yeah. it killed me! It killed me! Killed me! Killed me! What he should have done is he should have fired up IG Eleven there and say, "Come <laughs> walk out of the ship. Remember that you're a murder droid, yeah. and open fire on these guys that are chasing me." Like yeah. that's got to be in there because he said he would. He it's not that he's, he's completely non-violent. He's he, a he will. He could theoretically use violence to protect. Mm-hmm. you know his charge or whatever right yeah so he could have been like okay guy time to droid up and come out here and you know yeah, yeah. open fire okay. but um protection time yeah, is maybe necessary. he's not really dead and ig11 will come out and like nurse maybe. him back to health or something maybe. i don't know but i feel like you need no i feel like somebody needs to go down right when there's an episode where you put a crew together yeah and they go on this this dangerous mission together Huge. there's always someone who dies there's always right? a loss yeah um, cost 
But now we've got now we've got Come Moff on. Gideon there with his with his uh, shiny stormtroopers and death troopers yeah. too, not the grimy right. dregs of the Empire that yep. uh, that uh, Werner Herzog had out in his little fiefdom. But this is like mainline Empire stuff that's come back, and he's got his little Tie Fighter, which can like fold up and land, which is something we've never really seen before. Yeah. Usually they just kind of balance precariously on the tips of their wings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they're they're trapped. They're pinned down. Uh, the Empire's got the child now, mm-hmm. and uh, Nick Nolte is dead. And it seems like uh, seems pretty bad. bad you know, time. the worst thing is though, um, Nick Nolte worked three lifetimes, and yeah, that's got why it had retired to be free for like five years before he died. <laughs> he, that's he just was, so he was sad. Five, he was five space days away from retirement. Yeah. yeah, no, but not even. I mean, he's only been free like on his own. <laughs> Land, um, yeah, it's, living it's, on his own it's terms. The for such a thing. Short it's the McBain time. thing. Like he was gonna, he was gonna retire and charter a boat called the Live Forever and go <laughs> off. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the totally McBain's partner yeah, thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, it, that's why it had to be him. Yeah. It couldn't be like the droid, right? No, yeah. Or no, Cara Dune, who that, was no. a soldier and like I know. Would, would probably love to go down in a firefight with Imperials. Like yeah. that's how he got her to sign on for this. She's right. like, yeah, Wait, I don't I'll know. Like I'm fine just like fighting guys in this weird like. Yeah, wood, tiny town. This weird wood bar. Yeah. Um, no, I'll go off with you and fight some the Imper- Imperial Remnant. I love shooting at Imperials, right? And getting <laughs> shot at by Imperials. Yeah. Um, so she, she'd probably love to go out that way. But yeah, it's, that's why it had to be the man of peace, right? The guy who never wanted to. Right. The, it's like, it's like right, it's the guy from Die Hard, right? It's, it's, What's um, her name again? Oh, sorry. It's just Cara Dune. Cara Dune, yeah. Do you think Dune as in like, um, um, what's his name? <sighs> He went blind. He was a Jedi. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. You're killing me over here. You're talking Doom. about Ka- Caleb Doom, yes, aka Kanan Jarrus. Yeah. It's that's Doom instead of Dune. Dune. Yes. Doom. There's really? a difference. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Fine. Be that way. <laughs> I wonder if this Homer Nixon is any relation. Unlikely, sir. They spell and pronounce their names differently. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I walked into that one. Um, but yeah. So was, I so good. one episode left. And yeah. we know we're getting a season two. They're shooting it right now. They so. better save the baby. Yeah, I wonder. My guess is it will not end on a cliffhanger because I think that they're going to want to have this be like a discreet season. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but there'll be do a they, thing. Did they know ahead of time if they're getting renewed or what is I this? Can't, multiple? I can't imagine they thought they were only going to get one season. This is the flagship I, show of Disney's hmm. flagship digital initiative. There's no way they thought they were only going to do one season. Oh, man. That's so cool. That's very, very cool. Oh, good. Well. <laughs> okay, nervous laugh aside. Yeah, so one and episode left. Yeah, one episode left. Um, yeah. So if you want to reach out to us and your and tell us your thoughts about enjoying all of these shows too, uh, we have an email address: mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com/smartspodcast, and our Twitter is at smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. Ding 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 ding. Ooh. <laughs>